In this episode, we talk with Jim Johnson about how to bring honor to you and your house. This is STA Engage. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, as always, Dr. RPG Jeff Harvey. Last episode, we had a special guest on ELH, and we talked about how to play Star Trek Adventures online. Uh, it's a great episode. Check that one out if you play a game online or if you want to know how to play the game at all, really. It's a great episode. Check that one out. Um, before I get too deep into this episode, let me introduce to you uh, my co-host, the indomitable Michael Dismuke. Hello again, everyone. Happy to be here. That's how you say it in Klingon. You know, I have Duolingo, and I'm the after I learn Swahili and German, I'm going to learn that. So, someone uh, will correct me. Watch, <laughs> no doubt. Uh, the goal of this show is to help fans of Star Trek and of the role playing uh, games uh, better engage with the Star Trek franchise and the Star Trek Adventures RPG, as well as the community at large. This show is brought to you by the letter D, the number seven, and the support of people like you. So, like, subscribe, and share. Uh, support us on Patreon. Uh, you can find out more about all the folks that sponsor us and put the show together. Uh, our production team at Studio Tembo, the fine folks over at ContinuingMissionSTA.com, and our primary sponsor for the season one, Adventure Inc. Just follow the links below. Um, this episode, we're going to be discussing the Klingons. Uh, everything from the new core rulebook, creating Klingon care campaigns, uh, Klingon houses, Klingon characters, Klingon NPCs, Klingon ships, Klingon coffee. There's Klingon scampi, barbecued Klingon, uh, boiled Klingon, Klingon gumbo, pan fried, deep fried, stir fried. You get the picture. Um, and to help us out, please welcome our returning guest, uh, the product manager and line editor. I had to correct those things because I was wrong earlier. The Star Trek adventure of Star Trek Adventures, the very patiently waiting Jim Johnson. Jim, how are you? Hey, how are you, Jeff? Michael, good seeing you guys again. Thanks for inviting me in to play with you all again. Uh, always happy to have you on the show. Always room for one more. Always room. Always yeah, room. Thank you. Let's start Great. out by talking about what the, about the Klingon core rulebook. So, I mean, my first question is why a core rulebook and not a supplement book? Sure. Great question. So I think, uh, you know, I know I've answered this before in other, in other forms, but there, I mean, really the opportunity presented itself to do a really, a really big book on the Klingons. Cause like, you know, I even wrote in the book itself, I, I think they're arguably the most popular species in the Star Trek universe next to maybe Vulcans. And there is just a wealth of material for Klingons, not just the language, but the lore. I mean, there's just so much out there for Klingons, right? And um, so th there was that, right? But then in addition uh, to that, just knowing that there's a lot of stuff for the Klingons that we could put into a supplement, uh, we also knew that after after three years of um, of working on the game, that we knew that a lot of the fandom were uh, struggling a little bit with the core rule book, the, the way it was laid out, and how the rules are kind of scattered throughout the book, and uh, uh, you know constantly had questions about the rules. And we were like, we we thought to ourselves, well, you know, this is an opportunity to kind of create an alternate path into the game, where instead of playing a Starfleet crew, you're playing a Klingon crew, a dedicated Klingon crew. And wouldn't it be kind of nice to give give a give the core rule book a, a little bit of a refresh, right? I mean, it's not even a, a version 1.5. It's just really just kind of a revised version of the rule book because we didn't really change hardly all that much except the layout and the presentation, uh, which is was really one of my key design goals was to like, you know, let's clean up the presentation, make the rules a little clearer, do a top-down edit and uh, and clean it all up. And, uh, the, you know, at Gen Con in 20... 
19, you know, Sam and I were talking about it and we were like, well, you know, this is probably a good opportunity to jump on this and do a full blown core book, you know, as opposed to just a supplement that you kind of tack on to what was already in, 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 in place, you know, so. Um, I, I know I have a lot to say positive yeah. about the rules and how they were simplified because we get a lot mm -hmm. of questions. We have a lot of fan made uh, uh, items on right. continuing mission. But speaking of just design alone, because I want to make sure we don't skip over just the aesthetics of these books. Mm -hmm. I, I actually got mine in the mail a couple days ago. Mm. The feel of it is great. I was cracking up on a couple of things, which I have to mention, Jim, and, and maybe you could talk to us about it. This is the first time I've ever had an RPG, RPG book that actually has bookmarks in it. Uh -huh. Of course, they're the color of the Klingon flag, which I thought <laughs> was super brilliant. How did, how did you make certain design choices like that? And also like the leather, you know, the swat, like, how did you do that? Uh, gosh, well, we, we knew we wanted to, well, we, we knew we were going to do a core book, right? And then once we decided on we're going to do a core rule book, we, we naturally looked to the to the, Star, the Starfleet core and said, okay, you know, we did a collector's edition and a standard edition of the regular core book. Do we want to do that again? And we were like, yeah, because, you know, there, there's enough of a fan base that would probably be willing to pay a little bit more for the collector's edition, even though the only thing that's different is the cover, right? I mean, all we're doing is putting a leather cover on it. And, but, you know, some people like me care about that kind of aesthetic and uh, it, it makes it feel yeah. well let me tell you one it makes it feel biblical which i really love it's like <laughs> it's like oh oh there's oh. wisdom in this yeah i can't wait to see actually how it looks you know like in 10 years i may like throw yeah. it in the dirt a couple times put some blood oh, and yeah. coffee on it yeah, but but it's that it's definitely fireplace reading which i really like it so i i buy you know the rule books and stuff like that mm -hmm. i do use pdfs but i know i read this whole thing in pdf but right. once i had it in my hands i got some stuff out of it that i didn't know mm -hmm. but if for anyone who's wondering or vacillating on whether they should get the leather one it yeah. feels so nice yeah now, one of the one of the nice things about having the special covers too is that if you have the pdf you can use the pdf and you don't you now you have a reason to buy a collector's edition book because you can put it in your shelf and still have a book you can read and not damage it i, I love the the collector's editions i buy a lot of them now yeah, nice. Yeah, Michael, I'd be curious to see what happens because, like, over years, leather gets that kind of the grease, you know, the mm -hmm. fingers, you know, the patina on it. I can't wait to see what it looks like in, you know, 10 years, see if it holds up. I um, want that. I really think that would be a really cool thing. I think also going back to what you were saying, too, because I didn't want to skip over it. Because um, some people would be like, why buy a second core rule book? And believe me, nobody, I make no money off of this, by the way. I'm just saying it because what I liked about it when I opened it up, it had a whole section on Klingon culture. And there's no yeah. way you could have got that richness of Klingon culture in a book that shares with other species. And, and for those who are going to play this game or GM the game, it's just a quick reference I would have my players read to be like, hey, this is what you need to know about Klingon culture, because it does change the way you behave from standard Federation protocol. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I will go back and just say real quick with the bookmarks, uh, the collector's edition of the Starfleet Core rulebook, uh, the one with the 1701D on the cover, that actually has three bookmarks in it. Mm -hmm. And and those bookmarks, uh, I remember Sam told me that he put a lot of effort into making sure that the Pantone color numbers matched the original series uniform colors. So like if if you look at the at the at the gold and the red and the blue bookmarks in the in the Starfleet Core, like theoretically those are supposed to match the colors of the uniforms that they used on the show back in the day, which I thought was a great attention to detail. That's cool. And yeah. uh, you know, while we while we were planning this book, I, at, at first we were just going to do the the leather cover and not do bookmarks. And then I, I think one day I posted on our 
on our internal site and said, hey, is there any way we can add bookmarks to this? It would, be, it would just be nice to have. And uh, it didn't impact the cost all that much. So we went with it and, and did the bookmarks because I, I know that I appreciate having them just to, to highlight the really, really key stuff. Even though I always put book, I always put post-it notes in my books because uh, you know they're they're working tools for me, so I don't really care about keeping them pretty. Yeah. yeah. The only other books I've seen that have them are the chaos. Some of the Chaosium books, like uh, Call of yeah. Cthulhu, and those are nice. I, I really like them. And I uh, I didn't realize that the collector's editions of either of these books had them. And it's that's another selling feature for me. Yeah. It's cool. It makes them more classic. You know, it makes them more classic. And then the other piece, you know, again, I, I'm not going to go too much into into the rules because I think we've talked about that enough. People know how we simplified that, but just the fact that they added all these mission briefs at the end, mm. which, which was a new addition. I don't think there's no other mission briefs in any other published material as of yet. Right. Uh, no, the Klingon book is the first place to, uh, to that. I was able to introduce them and you'll see a lot more of them coming up here, but uh, the Klingon book was the first place that we could bring them, bring them in. Nice. I will say that my players definitely approve of the fact that the, rules are restated because uh, they they were difficult for some of my players to to wrap their head around the rules the way they were presented right. in the previous book. So I, my many of my players appreciate the work that was put into redoing the rules layouts. Uh, so. There was one I have a question about, by the way, since I have you trapped here, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I had, uh, I noticed that the milestone, there's no more spotlight milestone. Uh -huh. in this one in fact i just noticed it once i got the hard copy book so in the original series or in the original book there's normal spotlight and arch milestones i noted arc milestones i noticed this one no spotlight milestone what was the thinking behind that uh you know i'd have to ask uh, nathan what the specific point was to that but i do know he wanted to kind of take a fresh pass on the advancement um system such as it is and um, I, I think like the concept of the spotlight milestone is still in there. It's just reframed differently. Mm -hmm. And I mean, what, one of the things I, I'm not gonna answer your question because I can't, but uh, one of the things I like about his revision is, is that it encourages players to, to keep a log of what they're doing. And it really puts the, um, I don't wanna say onus, but the players are really encouraged to own their career, their character development. Uh, and, you know, working with the GM to, to figure out, you know, oh, in this episode, I'm going to do this and then I'll carry that forward into the next episode, et cetera. And I think it just makes it a little bit more interesting and a little bit more organic. And um, I know that my players in my current campaign, uh, we, we were playing a Starfleet game. But since we have these rules available, we're just using the Klingon version of the rules uh, because we, I like I like when they use a trait that they can actually tweak their character, right? They can tweak it, they can tweak a talent or they can tweak, tweak a focus or whatever without necessarily, you know, going too far down into the weeds on it. Um, so, so yeah, yeah it's I definitely mean, worth rereading. I, I, yeah. I'm gonna have to go back into details like that because again, those are some details I still didn't catch through the PDF. I only caught when I'm flipping through it today and, right. and looking at stuff. There was also one other rule change I have to have. So, so which I really like is contested challenges which it was more extrapolated here. So if people want to know some of the differences is that challenges in the original one, you know, you go do your extended task or whatever, but now they have it where it can, they really expand on how you can oppose that to make that task even harder, almost like an opposed role when you're fighting, uh -huh. it's opposing a challenge. So I thought that was a real cool addition in here. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we tried to add a little bit, but you know, Nathan also, because Nathan works on all the 2D20 systems, or all, all the 2D20 versions, he was able to kind of, he, you know, his brain is in like 10 different places because he's working on so many different games right now. Uh, he's, he's been able to kind of like take the best of breed 
and adapted as needed. So we, you know, the Klingon book benefited from his three extra years of experience working on 2D20 on on various and sundry lines. So uh, I, you know, I'm grateful uh, that that he was able to do as much as he did on this book, uh, even though he's being pulled a couple of different directions. Yeah, I noticed there were some other differences too. Like there's the difference with the reputations that changed a little bit, and I think that mm-hmm. was released as an additional PDF. I mean, a few other things too. It's definitely a book that you need to go over, even if you don't buy the physical copy. I think the the PDF is definitely worth having. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I, I mean, I, I use the PDF as reference all the time, and I know that uh, Nathan and Sam they they primarily they did the primary bulk of the work revising the mechanics. Um, and it, again, they, they didn't make a lot of changes, but they just streamlined all streamlined a lot of things. And then you know, working with me, we we just made the presentation a lot clearer. Hopefully. Uh, hopefully fans will think it's clearer than, than what we had in the first version, but uh, uh, just cool. you know, trying to make it easy for people to, to get the system and then get playing. Yeah. One last thing on design, just because that, you know, I started work as a graphic designer, so I noticed these little things. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really cool how you, how they painted or did all these warriors weapons. I thought that was so cool because in the original book, it, it tells you what the weapons are, but it doesn't really show them. And huh. I think from a GMing and player standpoint, knowing what a cut look looks like before it stabs you is kind of important. <laughs> You're like, don't stab me. That's worse than getting stunned. Yeah. Uh, so, so I thought that was really cool. They put the design. And then my last question to you, Jim, and then I'm done, is why the rib cage for the woman who got shot on page 166? I mean, they just blasted her. <laughs> they <laughs> added... Uh, they totally uh, atomized this poor Bajoran <laughs> office, uh, officer. So, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> good I, art. Great work. Yeah. I can't take any credit for that piece of art. That art is actually from the, um, I think it's in the Alpha Quadrant source book. And uh, that, the Alpha Quadrant source book, I was the line editor, but I wasn't the project manager yet. I think, I think that was Sam's, one of Sam's last books that he worked on as project manager before he moved on to bigger and greater things within Modiphius. And I think he wrote that that art brief. And when I saw it in the book the first time, I was like, "Whoa, what is this? This is crazy. What are we doing?" And uh, uh, but no, I thought I thought it was, I mean, neat and different. And it just shows you the brutality of the uh, of the of the war at the time, right? When the Klingons and the Federation were at war with each other for a little while. Um, mm-hmm. just, and just even the difference in the weapons, which I think yeah. is why I pointed out the weapons, and then that picture is because players need to understand being Klingon is a whole different thing from being Federation. I know Jeff has a lot to say about that subject too. Yeah, I do. And I'll say those those pictures. I, this is just a little factoid for people that, that they'll never know unless I mention it somewhere. Those uh, those um, weapon graphics. Those are actually uh, we were able to get those from Eagle Moss. Uh, so Eagle Moss is, of course, the UK company that does the Starship miniatures and the graphic novel uh, subscription, a bunch of other stuff with Star Trek. And uh, I'm working on building a relationship with them to where we can kind of like cross pollinate and stuff. And uh, they were uh, great, gracious enough to give us some of their art assets that we were able to drop into the Klingon book and, and just kind of like, you know, keep that keep that cross pollination going. So I'm really glad that we were able to get some of those graphics in there. Um, as far as layout and design, I have I have one comment and then I have one question for both of you. Uh, the comment, the first comment is, um, I was really grateful to do this book because it gave me an opportunity to put in a acknowledgments section at the very end. So if you look at the end of the index, um, I want to encourage every fan to read that acknowledgments section because it, it was an opportunity for me to thank a lot of people and, and the other writers to thank a lot of the people involved in Star Trek. But also that last paragraph, because I know that we've lost so many people over the years that worked on Star Trek to one degree or another. And we're all, you know, building on the legacy that they all created. 
And I wanted to make sure I had a place somewhere in the in one of these books to just acknowledge how many people have brought Star Trek to so many other people and that we're just trying to continue that tradition on. So I want to make sure everybody has a chance That's to excellent. I'm gonna to sit back with if you can. I'm gonna sit back with some whiskey and read it tonight. <laughs> Pour one out for the homies. Yeah, yeah. And then my question for both of you, uh, have, because you've both seen the PDF and you've you know certainly seen the physical version, um, just out of curiosity, what do you think of the the dark text on white background as opposed to the light text on black background that's in all the other books? Is it is does this make it more readable? Is it more user friendly, or is it just kind of like not not that important to you? Um, I will say that it doesn't show fingerprints as well, and that's one thing I like. But uh, I. I really like the aesthetic of the black pages, the uh-huh. and the L cars and all that stuff. I think it looks really good. The right. only real complaint I had with it, um, it is a little bit harder to read because some of the lettering, the black bleeds over some of the lettering, uh, and it shows fingerprints. And you know, gamers are always eating Cheetos and whatnot. And my books are yeah. smudged really badly. So, <laughs> so yeah, in in on PDF black definitely because it's easier on the eyes instead yes. of having the light shine on your face. That's for sure. But um, definitely, I do like the white. Uh, it's easier to read when lighting's in the room, bouncing off of white background paper. That's how our eyes are kind of built. It's sure. less strained, so I do prefer that. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks for that feedback. I appreciate it. I would say that uh, it also makes if you got to print out a single page or whatever, if you to having the print versions, which are the white backgrounds. Sure. So I do like that, but I don't print a lot of pages. Right. Okay. Uh, Let's talk uh, about character generation and how it differs in the Klingon book than it did in the Star Trek Adventures core book. So, uh, go ahead. Should I just should I just ramble, or do you want to you want to go? Oh, I I didn't really have anything specific on it. I just know it differs a little bit. I know that some of the talents are different, and and um, there is no sta dot com dot modifius creator for it right now. Um, But I know that like there are some differences, but for the most part, it's it pretty much works the same. But yeah, for the most part, character generation hasn't changed. It's still primarily life path is 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 the key way to go about it. You know, you work through the different steps and build your character as you go. You can of course create your character. Uh, there's there's a creation and play option that was in the first book. Uh, there's a couple uh, supporting characters rules, but as far as the life path, um, the the big difference between this book and the Starfleet book, of course, is that you've only got two types of, uh, or only two species, I guess. You got the Klingons, and then you got the uh, the the augmented version with the virus, uh, you know, whether you're playing original series or uh, or next gen or whatever. Um, beyond that, though, like you go through your environment, you go through your different uh, um, stages of your of your of your life, right? Uh, none of that's really changed. Uh, some of the nuances are a little different because we obviously wanted to make this focused on the Klingons and not just have it kind of be like the the core rules with you know a Klingon aesthetic bolted onto it. We really tried to do a top down revision to make it really 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 Klingon focused um you know so yeah, a lot of like like the career events we uh Nathan and I scrubbed or Nathan mostly uh scrubbed the career events uh to make it to make some of them more Klingon focused as opposed to Starfleet you know um and then the big thing was adding the uh the whole section about creating your own uh Klingon uh noble house you know because right. we you know that just doesn't exist in Starfleet and um we were like you know if you're going to create a Klingon character, you know, it really matters to most Klingons what house you're a member of or where you're from. And so why not have an opportunity to, to build that? Uh, and, you know, even Nathan went even further to say, you know, not only can you build your house, but you, there's also some elements in there about maintaining it, right? You can actually spend some of your uh, milestones on improving your house as opposed to improving your character, right? You can actually have that whole element of working on your uh, 
your legacy to some extent, which I thought was a, a really neat idea. Yeah, I haven't brilliant. gotten I haven't gotten deep into those rules on on the generation of the houses yet or how mm-hmm. to maintain them. But when I first read that, I my thought back to uh, the, I think it's Green Ronin created the uh, Song of Ice and Fire RPG, mm-hmm. and they have something similar to that. And it really got me thinking about how to run a start uh, Klingon campaign and, and how to make players think like Klingons. Yeah, and really, if you think hard about the way Klingon society is structured. I think the Game of Thrones is a really good example mm-hmm. for a Klingon campaign. It's <clears throat> it's fantastic. Yeah, um, and when I, when I read the when I read Nathan's draft, it immediately got me thinking of Pendragon. If you've played any Pendragon, Pendragon as an RPG, you know, a huge a huge chunk of it is just maintaining your castle, maintaining your house, maintaining your family. And then of course it's a generational game. So like your your main character could die at some point and then his his son carries on the story and you, you just kind of go through this whole generational thing. And uh, I, so I just thought it was neat that Nathan was able to build that into the, uh, into the rules. What I like about it too, is the parallel. Whereas, you know, we spend a lot of time talking, if you're a Starfleet member about why'd you go to the Academy, where'd your family come from? Um, And so that just transfers over to the whole idea of your house and the richness and the drama and the stories and all of that. And, and of course I, again, going back to, um, page 96 and 97, which is the chapter on life path character creation. It's been simplified, has some good visuals in it to really streamline you being able to create quickly. Mm-hmm. So when you guys are making characters for Star Trek and particularly the Klingon campaign, what, what are the thought process behind when you're generating your character? Like, what are you thinking about? What makes your character generation more unique? Like, how do you guys, how do you guys visualize your characters are going through it with the Klingons? I can think of one word to start because I've only been able to play one wonderful game as a player. Usually I'm always the GM. Um, And the word came up, which was at the forward of the book was passion. So I had to decide what my character was passionate about. And I just drowned my character in it. She was a flight controller uh, without a house. She had no house and she had escaped Rurapimpe. So she was passionate, one, about talking about how if she can get through Rurapimpe, she could survive anything. And she was passionate about flying stuff. And it just made her just intense. That's the word I'll use right now (laughs) for that. So that's one way I generate is, you know, just figuring out what they're passionate about and running with that. Yeah, I think if I have not had an opportunity to play a Klingon game yet or or even run one, but like if I were to approach creating a character for a Klingon game, I, I, I would hearken back to Dr. Lawrence Schoen's foreword to the book that he was gracious enough to write for us. Um, and, and exactly what you said, Michael, Klingons are passionate. They're very, very passionate. They're always passionate about something in specific. And uh, so on the one hand, I would, yes, figure out what is my character passionate about. But what's always important to me for, especially for Star Trek role-playing games, is figuring out how is my character connected to all the other player characters, right? Are we in the same house? Are we all related? Is there a connection that we have together? Because it's really important to to, to be able to have have things to bounce off of each other so that you're all not just new people on the bridge. Like, who are you? Who are you? It's like, no, it's, it's nice to build some backstory together in this, you know, the traditional session zero kind of thing. So those are the two things I focus on is what is my character passionate about? And then how, how is my character connected to all the other player characters? I like that. Which one of you bastards killed one of my ancestors? I love that. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we did a, a single one-off for a star, uh, Klingon game recently. And I made a character who's one of the characters, one of the other players was his brother. And we wrote a basic story of, you know, we're, mem- we're, we're disgraced members of a, a, a proud but small house. Mm-hmm. And uh, we ended up having a, a fight off to see who was going to be the new 
first officer aboard the the, the ship, the Black Batleth. And uh, <laughs> it, it was all players versus players, which I, we need to talk about PvP rules at some point in this game. Um, the uh, In the end, uh, it was the two brothers fighting off, and uh, I decided that the my character, who was the, the lesser warrior, really, uh, would do whatever it took to win because he wanted to prove that he had still had his honor, even though their father had basically cast them both out, that he was still worthy of it. And I think it was it was a fun moment to role play. And I ended up winning the fight. Um, yeah. Mostly because, yeah, my I was, if it had gone, if, if I if it had gone another, not even another round of combat, if it had gone another, the other player had a chance to talk and didn't retire, didn't resign from the fight, I would have because I was, I had like one hit point left. It was not, it was, it was a brutal fight. There were some injuries. Uh-huh. Um, so let's talk about like building the houses and, and what kind of things we do when we're thinking about building a Klingon house, what kind of stuff, again, so players, this is something new for this system right. and I haven't gone through it yet. So let's talk a little bit about what it is to build a house. Like what are some of the things you think about? What are some of the steps you would go through uh, when building a house? Yeah. Well, I mean, the great thing is Nathan put together a whole, I mean, the, the house creation and development is almost like the life path where you've got charts and you just kind of follow it through step by step to figure out, you know, where is your house? Is it, uh, is it like up and coming or is it an old retiring house or is it, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, is it like uh, Kang, the house of Kang that has this long prestigious history over hundreds of years, you know, like what, what is this house? What, what is this house's personality? Uh, and then you just kind of keep digging into it and like, what's the legacy, you know, what, like, what, are, what type of characters come out of that house? Are they pre- predominantly warriors or scientists or engineers or, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, so I, you know, I, again, I haven't really had an opportunity to play with it much. Um, but I would say, you know, if you're a new player coming into it, just, you know, go through the house creation and development. I mean, it's only like five or six steps, so it shouldn't take you long uh, to do it and uh, just, you know, play with some of the ideas that are in there. And then um, think about, uh, I mean, even without the, the character generation rules, you can just look at canon to, to come up with the, some of the concepts like, are you from a noble prestigious house that has a, has a seat on the high council, right? Is there a political element to your campaign that you can fold in, right? And depending on where your, your campaign is set, like, are, you know, maybe you're set in uh, early next gen era and like, you know, are you, is your house pro Duras? or pro Gowron or pro somebody else. And like, you can, you can add in this whole political element. Like, are they, are they okay with the Romulans having a, having a hand in this or are they like anti-Romulan or uh, even, you can even play with the idea of um, in early next gen, you had this whole undercurrent of Klingons in the setting that were not really happy about being allies with the Federation, right? I mean, they were kind of okay with it, but they really wanted to get back to that traditional we are Klingon warriors. We're going to go take what we want and be passionate and do this thing. And we don't really like being allies with the Federation anymore. Um, there was, there's a couple of NPCs in there that I dropped in from the, oh gosh, what was it? Uh, Heart of Glory, I think. Uh, the episode where a couple of Klingons came on board and they got in the brig and then they put together the modular uh, uh, pistol and then they escaped. And then, of course, they both got killed. But uh, the, their, their particular attitude was like, we, you know, we're allied with the Federation, but we're not really happy about it. Um, you know, they were, I guess, tr- traditionalist Klingons, maybe. And, and so, you know, as you're playing and developing your character and your house, you know, where does your house stand on this? Is your house a traditionalist kind of house? And they want to like, they're not really happy with the Federation and they want to kind of like break away from that and do their own thing. Or, you know, yeah, there's just a ton of op- op- options there if you want to play with it. 
Yeah, I think one thing that a lot of players think of when they first see that there's a Klingon book is it's like, oh, we're going to be heavy in combat and we're going to be killing everyone. And mm-hmm. uh, Klingons always like killing people. Um, but I think it yeah. there's a, an underlying thing that people don't generally think about, which is the level of politics that there really is in the Klingon stuff. I think it's actually more political than the Federation stuff. The Federation is has these high ideals and they've achieved their goals largely. And now it's about exploration and spreading humanity throughout the universe. Right. With Klingons, it's really a lot more of uh, power struggles and and uh, political vacuums and things like that. And I think it's really, I think Game of Thrones is a really good example of a way to to um, to to visualize uh, a Klingon campaign and make it really interesting for players. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna, I was thinking of adding two as opposed to just values. Their values are often built off of stories. I was gonna write an article about it. I was trying to think how I would do it because I honestly do think that playing Klingon games is is more satisfactory to storytelling players Mm -hmm. players who like to tell stories and are very artistic and poetic i think it leans so i i'm like if there's a value i would ask my players create the story behind this value it could be embellished it could be a lie it could be exaggerated but basically you have to tell it so fervently that if anyone challenges that story's veracity they've just challenged your value right. and and so i'm i would i would make all of my players create some stories for their houses mm. true or false that maybe they fight about later yeah yeah i think um and i've seen this on social media here and there about people wanting to play klingons and i i think it's easy to look at the Klingons as kind of like the murder hobos of Star Trek, where they're just they're killing machines. They go out, they kill stuff, they take what they want, and then and then they move on to the next thing. But that's not really what you see in canon, right? There's there's a whole. I mean, it's not just the honor thing, but like the vast majority of of Klingon episodes have this very very strong like Shakespearean vibe to them, right? Like they are they are fraught with uh, with high drama and high high. I mean, there's just stuff, right? If you watch. Uh, uh, uh what, what's the one with the first one with Worf? Uh, sins sins of the father right you got you got this backdoor backroom politicking going on between uh Worf and duras and kempek and picard and they're like this is big you know king lear type stuff that's going on and i i think to, to just look at the klingons is like oh we're just gonna go kill stuff and and take their glute and go that, that you're just selling it short and i think there's just so much more to the klingons that you can do uh, and so I, I love your idea, Michael, of um, of having your players create stories around all their values and their house and just everything else, even if it's total BS, right? It's a good story, and I think you know the Klingons like like to drink their blood wine and tell good stories and you know go on from there. So I think uh, you know, there's just a lot more to to the to the Klingons than you can than, than just if you go on the surface. That's one thing, but I think the Klingons, more than anybody else, I think you can really go deep. And even go deeper with them. If my yeah. players write a song. I'll have. I'll give them an extra determination point. If <laughs> I will say too, like you're talking about the Shakespearean aspect of it. There's a lot of a lot of Shakespearean callbacks in Star Trek in general. But yeah, uh, Gorkin is quoting Shakespeare sure. in sure. what Star Trek Six, right? Yep. So that, there's definitely an element of that. And I think uh, I think keeping that in mind that it isn't just about being a murder hobo there is some of that in there but it's not just that let's mm-hmm. talk about honor real quick like that is the thing that klingons are the most known for right but is their honor the same as human honor like we think of things like uh you don't attack an unarmed enemy or you never attack someone from behind or you always offer mercy but to klingons there's nothing more honorable than victory right so how do you guys envision a character using honor like how do we separate human honor and, and chivalry 
from what Klingon honor would be? That's a good question. This, this is the, again, I'm going to go back to the, I, I picture Kelly Fitzpatrick, who is, who's, you know, she's one of uh, the writers and she loves acting and role playing. And I picture, and I, you know, I talked to her, we had interviewed her before about her contributions. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's how, po- like when your honor is challenged, can you poetically get out of having to do the fight? Because we know challenging, you got to take up the challenge. There's a whole inbox about that. Mm-hmm. So, so it's even when you're doing something dirty or wrong, can you wrap it into a story as to know actually why this is honorable is because. So I think, again, this leads to our creativity and, and twisting the world to your view. We're, we're used to we see people do that all the time, right? I'm not making any comments in politics, but if you're strong enough about it and you're adamant about it, you must be right. And that's where I see honor comes in. It's maybe it's not honorable, but you can pretty you can make up a story why it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it, there's. I mean, there's so much Star Trek out there now, right? Like 800, 900 hours worth of Star Trek, and I think if you were to pull out every single instance of a Klingon saying this is honorable or this is not honorable it would be like all over the map and it would be really hard to find a through line. Cause it's so like you're saying, it's so personal to the individual, like what is honor? Is it personal honor or is it Klingon honor? Or is it a combination of the two things? Like, I mean, even Worf is consistently inconsistent with what is honorable and what is not honorable. It just, you know, wh- whatever fits the dictates of the story at the time. Right. But uh, somehow there's a through line that makes it work. And uh, I um, think honor for Klingons is synonymous with saving face. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's a good example too. Uh, uh, if you ever read the Code of Bushido, that's a good one. It's a, it's a good take. I like that. I, I always found Worf to be uh, a human's idealization of Klingon honor. Um, so he's being a Klingon. He wants to uh, to exemplify Klingon honor, but it's the human's perspective of how to treat honor, but Klingon honor. I, I was Worf's always been a fun contradiction. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all I really have. You guys got anything else you want to talk about as far as this book goes? It's a good winter read. That's what I'll say. Um, it's hot chocolate or whiskey uh, read. I'm going to read it again. And um, I, I really encourage people to try to play a Klingon game. I, I was able to play with Fred Love, one of the writers. He, he ran a Klingon game yep. a couple of weeks back and I had so much fun. I was like, oh man, I may have to run the entire next phase of the Shackleton Expanse on that on the muck wall. So, so uh, give it a try. I, I, you might find yourself leaning toward more Klingon games and Federation. Games. I, I do have one more thing we can talk about before we go. How would you guys use the Klingon book to make Klingons in your Starfleet games more interesting? Mm, good question. Every, good. everything we just talked about and that's their history plus Starfleet Academy. Now they're, they're, they're going to be some of the most rich characters you're going to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think I think we were able to 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 drop in so much lore and information into the Klingon book that I think a, a Klingon player in a Starfleet game can can benefit from it, right? Because there's just so much stuff to to work with, and uh, um, hopefully, we packed the Klingon book full of ideas that even if um, you know, even if you don't use a, a full blown Klingon campaign, you know, hopefully, there's enough enough stuff in there that you can at least reference back to it and remember um, some of the some of the lore that we were able to build in by some of the writers that I was able to pull in. And convinced to uh, to work with me on it. Um, so yeah. Um, can I ask one last question, real quick? I know I don't I don't know the answer. Is there a comparable book out there about the Klingons, not RPG related? Um, the only thing I can think of are like uh, some of the encyclopedia stuff, and then the Klingon um, 
with the Klingon dictionary has a lot of stuff in it. That might be on the shelf over here, actually. <laughs> there's, the, there's the Klingon dictionary that I think Mark Okrand wrote. And there's, um, let me look at my shelf here. Uh, there's a Bird, I, of Play, a Bird of Prey tech manual. That yes, the get. Bird of Prey tech manual is really good. Rick Sternbach uh, wrote a good chunk of that. And we use that as one of our key references um, uh, in, the, in developing the book. Uh, Dayton Ward wrote a really good uh, hidden, uh, like a travel guide to, to Klingon, uh, which uh, has a lot of great information in it. And uh, I'm really grateful that I was able to get on his schedule so that he could write some of the some of the stuff in our in our in our in our core book. Um, and plus, he's an old friend of mine from way back, so that was that was nice. But so there's a Klingon book that he wrote. Um, but as far as like one Klingon book that has like all the lore and all the ships and all the other stuff in it, I, I'm not sure there's one out there. And I, I guess if we were going to put a plug in for this book, that even if you're not a Star Trek gamer, this might be worth picking up because it's just got a ton of great Klingon lore in it. And if you're into the novels, right, Dayton Ward and uh, Keith DuCanado, who are two big longtime uh, Star Trek novelists who write a lot of Klingon stuff, happen to be in this book. So, like, if you if you like to follow them as writers, you know, why not grab this book and and uh, and uh, check out what they wrote for us in this as well? Yeah, that uh, I think it's a fantastic book. It's got a lot of useful information. Mm -hmm. The only thing it doesn't really have that I didn't see anyways was recipes for like blood wine or uh Ractigino, but you can find those online too uh, <laughs> i don't know if we put recipes in there but you know there's a there, let me find the page here. I, i've actually got the book up on pdf here right next to me there's a uh, uh it's at the beginning of the starships chapter i think i don't think it's recipes per se but um uh I, I gave sam um a sidebar to write and he went crazy with it in terms of like coming up with uh different types of gog and uh, and uh, racked <laughs> And some other Klingon delicacies that um, found that there. Let me find the date. How to, really, it was like, okay, if you're going to prepare a meal, like have a Klingon woman over for a date, you better know what to bring. Know your stuff. Yeah, exactly. I know how to duck. <laughs> Partially cooked lamb. Of, it was, there's like a raw leg of something. I forgot what that was. Uh, it's page, page 182. It's a, a ship menu. Oh, you know, speaking of which, going back, I know we're running out of time, but uh, uh, one of the things that the, the Klingon book brings, provides you that the Starfleet book didn't is that you can play the ship's cook uh, because yeah. uh, you know the Klingons think that fresh food is really super important and so a well-fed crew is a more effective crew and so the ship's cook on a on a on a Klingon warship is a, is a prized um, you know a prized member of the crew and like the, the better cook you've got the better off you're going to be and so one of the roles that you can play in the game is is the ship's cook and uh, we were lucky enough to get a great piece of art for for that showing the Klingon in the kitchen doing his thing yeah there you go and uh uh so you know like if i were to ever have the opportunity to play a klingon game i think i might actually play the cook just to do something different yeah. and uh you know Mike, michael you mentioned the the klingon the the mission briefs um i tried to make sure that there was a mission brief for every single uh potential role and uh i took it upon myself to write the one for the Klingon cook so uh, it was good i read that one yeah. actually <laughs> trying to make something out of nothing stone soup loved it <laughs> All right. One uh, more yeah, thing. I, mean, I, I could I could go on all day about this book because it, it, it's such a huge chunk of my life. Uh, I mean, this is this was more than a year in the making, and uh, there were a lot of good things and bad things happening in my life over the course of that year. That that um, when I get the physical copy, I'm going to have a lot of uh, emotions around it. Just, I mean, <laughs> it, looking at the PDF is one thing, but having that physical thing in hand is going to um, uh, open up a whole bunch of memories. Even before COVID, we were working on this thing, um, and then COVID just drove everything crazy. But uh, uh, it was absolutely a labor of love for the fans, by fans, 
And uh, I, I sure hope you all love it because we had, uh, I, I know I had a lot of fun working on it and I know everybody I, I brought in to work on it had a, had a blast too. So hopefully everyone really digs it. Yeah. I think the show is going to give one away as soon as I get my hands on a copy, but uh, I think it'll be fun for everybody to have that. And we'll get into that once I actually get a copy we can give away. Very cool. One more thing uh, I think to talk about when playing a Klingon campaign or a Klingon character, um, as we've talked about a lot in this episode, there's a rich tapestry of culture and subtle nuance that has been laid out over the last 54 years, 787 aired episodes once uh, Discovery Season 3 is over, uh, 11 canon series, 12 movies, countless books. Um, there's information out there for you. Uh, if you can, it, it can be fun to to play an over-the-top honor-bound murder hobo marauding around the galaxy, stomping out triple, the, the triple threat. But don't let yourself fall victim to the idea that all Klingons in the universe are the same way. Right. Each series has its own interpretation of the Klingon, and they can all be right at the same time. Your interpretation is no less valid than those. Think about your character's goals and their motivations, and don't create a shallow warrior who fights for nothing but honor and what that honor could even be, you know, what, what does honor mean to your character and why does it mean that? What, what does their house mean and what does it mean to them? Are they loyalists to the house or, or do they believe empire overall? Um, are they warriors of Kaelas or anything? What's your Klingon willing to die for? And more importantly, what are they willing to live for? Uh, create a meaningful contribution to the thousands of hours that have already been spent bringing Klingons to life in the Star Trek universe and the, what I'm guessing thousands and thousands of hours I've put into this book alone. Um, you know, bring the Star Trek Klingons to life in your universe um, and you will bring honor to you and your house. Um, and on that note, I think we're going to call it a wrap for tonight. Next time we're going to talk about how you can start and end your sessions uh, and uh, get the most out of your group and ways to engage your players in between sessions. So stay tuned next time for lessons or promise me something. Don't give up. I don't know how to do Oh yeah. Promise me something. Don't give up on your music. That's a quote from one of the episodes. I remember that. <laughs> a quote from the lessons episode, the lessons episode. Anyways, until then, don't forget to like subscribe and share. Uh, if you enjoy what we're doing, just share this episode with one other person. That's all we ask. You know, anybody who can get something out of the Star Trek adventures game, uh, the Klingons in general, anybody um, as an off topic note, when Timothy Zahn was writing the Thrawn trilogy books, they gave him RPG books to write the Star Wars universe. So these books can mean a lot. There's a lot of information in these that you can use. Even if you're not running a game and you want to write a Klingon book for somebody, this book has the information in it for you. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, until then, uh, don't forget, uh, I am your host, as always, Dr. RPG Jeff Harvey, on behalf of myself, my co-host, Michael Zemuk, and our great guest, Jim Johnson, and everybody that works behind the scenes here. Live long and prosper. Plah! This is a Klingon show. Kaplah. Right, Kaplah! <laughs> Oyster right. blood wine. <laughs>